Hi, welcome back to Legal Cut Pro. After a long break, my name is Greg Pang with my co-host, Michelle Molyneux. Hey, Michelle, how you doing? Good, thanks. How about yourself, Greg? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. It's been, what is it? Uh, what was the last time we recorded and released an episode? Like two, three months ago or something like that? Yeah. Four months? No, can't be that long. Something like that. You know what? Yeah. This is 2020, so it seems like the days, the months, they seem way longer than they really are. Yes. <laughs> but in any event, it's been a little while. We are, of course, an entertainment law podcast targeted to Canadian independent filmmakers. And today's podcast, we are giving an update on a few, we're touching on a few issues where there have been updates and corrections, mainly m- correcting my misspeaking from previous episodes. That sound good? That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Should we uh, a shout out to our sponsor? Yes, let's do that. This episode is supported by our friends at the Canadian Film Centre. CFC is a leading not-for-profit cultural organization for the development and advancement of Canadian creative and entrepreneurial talent in the screen-based industries. And our editor is Jane Too Good. You can find her at Instagram at JJ underscore Too Good. JJ underscore T-O-O-G-O-O-D. Thank you to you, Jane, for your continuing work on our podcast. Michelle, it's been, like we said, it's been a long time. What have you been up to? I've been doing some work from home. I've been doing a lot of Zoom acting classes, which have been awesome. Um, oh, and I got accepted to my master's program. So I'm very excited about that. Well, congratulations. I'm very happy for you. It seems like, it seems like a lot of work, hey? It might be, yeah. <laughs> and this is an LLM I... program, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. So master's in law and my specialization will be criminal law. So unfortunately, I won't be learning many entertainment things, but it should still be very interesting. Oh, that's fantastic. And are you planning to teach or what? what, uh, I guess what's the what's the end game with uh, getting the LLM? I mean, that's pretty damn cool. I'm excited. I would like to have the entire alphabet behind my name. So that's (laughs) that's the end goal and working towards it. (laughs) So so in a QC application in uh, in a a few months or a few years, I guess, like how how long you have to be practicing? A few years. A few years or I'm not sure. Is it is it years of practice or just years after being called to the bar that you can apply for QC? For those of you don't know, QC is Queen's Council. It's a was it a vanity title, right? Essentially. That's fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh, that that's pretty awesome. Um, Will you be Professor Michelle Molyneux at some point? I don't know. That might be, those will be my dreams for one day. We'll see where I end up right now. Right now, I'm just trying to figure out how to register for classes. <laughs> Perfect. And then in a few years, it'll be uh, Pachaco and Molyneux on uh, the law of evidence, right? Definitely. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> how about yourself, Greg? What's new with you? Well, just doing a lot of work. It's uh, really picked up since, I think, since uh, the late part of the summer. So uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of work done, um, which is nothing to complain about. And had a fantastic Halloween in spite of, or despite the uh, pandemic, uh, we did go trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating was not banned here in Edmonton, unlike in uh, several cities uh, across the country. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, I went with you know my wife and uh, my, my son and uh, his little cousin. So it was... Aww. 
it was just fun. You know, it's like, man, there's just so many things that are different that we can't do in 2020 going outside and, and getting candy, trick or treating, doing it safely, you know, social distancing, wearing masks and everything. Uh, it was probably as safe as you can, you can get. Right. And we were, we lucked out so nicely Usually, as you know, Michelle, in Edmonton, uh, around Halloween, it could be pretty darn cold. Mm -hmm. But it was a fantastic evening. It was like maybe five Celsius and no wind. Uh, it, it was as beautiful as it could be on a, an October 31st evening in the northernmost city like, or major city in North America. So it was fantastic. That's awesome. And full moon. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And lots of candy. So because oh. there, there were fewer because <laughs> there are fewer kids and fewer houses participating. So the, some of the houses, they what they did is they individually bagged the candy and they, they loaded them up. Right. So we got within an hour, we like the, both kids were complaining that their bags were too heavy. <laughs> that is an awesome problem to have. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my son is nice enough to share his candy with me. So I'm pretty happy. <gasps> Ooh, what's your fave Halloween candy? I don't have a favorite. Uh, I, I, uh, I'd say I really like crispy crunches. You know? mm. So yeah, crispy mm. crunches are nice, right? So those are good. Reese peanut butter, peanut butter cups. Those are mm. nice too. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> How about you? Those are good. I actually just bought some crispy crunch the other day because I was sad that I didn't go trick or treating. So oh. <laughs> like, I need some crispy crunch. Um, you know, there were this, there was this one candy that was totally my favorite as a kid and they were like rockets, but bigger, like sort of fatter and, and shorter kind of little, I guess, tubes or wrapping that they came in oh. and they were so good, like way better than rockets. Cause I find rockets are just kind of like powder <laughs> but these were like tangy and really good and somehow I don't know they've been discontinued I haven't been able to find them since I was about eight years old <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about um hmm anyway we are this is not an episode about Halloween candy we are talking about updates firstly let's get to updates and corrections yeah let's do it first the first on the list it's about something I talked with one of our guests about, uh, Avnish Nanda, who graciously did an interview with me about virtual commissioning of affidavits. I just wanted to give a little bit of an update about this because things have changed, and I believe around the country as well, uh, around this, uh, this well, not issue, but the, the, the procedures surrounding virtually commissioning affidavits. So in Alberta, unfortunately, we still don't have any specific legislative authorization that affidavits can be commissioned virtually as a general proposition. And I'll co and contrast that to what Ontario is doing. So, but in Alberta, what has happened is that, and this is something that's probably less relevant to our audience, but I'll just mention it really quickly. There were some ministerial orders by the government of Alberta that allowed for virtually commissioned, or rather, I think there's wording is about commissioning by video conference affidavits but those were done by ministerial order. So they had an expiry date. Those were replaced by orders in council, other kind, another kind of government order that allow for virtually commissioning or by video conference affidavits. But those are not, they don't apply generally. They apply to specific pieces of legislation, namely, or for example, the Land Titles Act and the Dower Act, which don't concern entertainment law, but just wanted mm -hmm. to get that out of the way, right? So our orders in council right now only affect specific legislation and a lot of them surround land transactions. So we don't have this general application 
unlike in Ontario, they have uh, commissioners for taking affidavits act where they enacted and they're enforced now amendments to the act that allow for not in-person commissioning of affidavits. You know, and they had to follow the regulations to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So it specifically allows as a general rule, a general proposition under the act and, and its regulations to do this virtual commissioning of affidavits. We don't have this in Alberta. So why am I bringing this up? Is because depending on your jurisdiction, if you are asked to swear an affidavit for some purpose, you know, whether you need to make a, or, or it, it's like a statutory de- declaration, even for your broadcaster um, or distributor or something like that, then you really have to look towards what your province allows. If you do not feel safe in have you know in meeting in person uh, with a lawyer or, or a notary public to have a, an affidavit commissioned. Right now in Alberta, we are kind of not there yet. Right now, it's just check with what your province or jurisdiction has allowed for virtual commissioning affidavits if you are uh, want to do it like that. And of course, consult with your lawyer. Next up, uh, let's talk about something that I got wrong, Michelle. I, Uh-oh. Or I misspoke. You know, what oh. I misspo- you know what I misspoke about? I conflated. I remember when I was speaking with Avnish, and forget who pointed this out to me, but I conflated affidavits and certificates of guarantor in Alberta. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the certificates of guarantor is under the Guarantees Acknowledgement Act. This is actually something that's quite unique in this country, I believe, uh, to unique to Alberta, is that we have something called the Guarantees Acknowledgement Act where if you're going to give a personal guarantee, and this is relevant for independent film producers, if you're going to give a personal guarantee, then that guarantee is only enforceable if you complete a certificate of guarantor in accordance with the Guarantees Acknowledgements Act. Otherwise, you can't enforce that personal guarantee against the individual guarantor. So what this, what this means is well, other than having to do it, is when the pandemic hit, there was a ministerial order allowing, uh, temporarily allowing the parties to uh, meet, quote unquote, by video conference, Zoom, Google Meet, whatever, to to complete and properly, I'm not using the right word here, commission uh, one of these certificates of guarantor. So these are not, unlike what I had said in the interview with Avnish, these are not affidavits. These are something that has to be completed before a lawyer and a lawyer has to sign it. So it, the procedure seems like an affidavit, but it's not in fact an affidavit. So that's how I misspoke, Michelle. So guilty there. I think that's acceptable, Greg. I think we can let that one slide. <laughs> okay. But, okay, so I do have an update for this though. Uh, the Guarantees Acknowledgement Act has been amended. So the ministerial order expired. And now the Guarantees Acknowledgement Act specifically allows for these the certificates of guarantors. Uh, we had to complete it in accordance with the form in the regulations to be completed by video conference. Uh, there is a sunset in August 15, 2022 is a sunset for this, meaning that's when it expires. So for people's information, if it's one of those things that, okay, so where would this come into to be relevant for you as a producer is that sometimes when you are say taking out a bank loan for interim financing from one of the banks, well, isn't that redundant? A bank loan from one of the banks, of course, (laughs) (laughs) a bank loan and you're taking out interim financing, 
the bank will oftentimes, unless you are a company with a lot of assets, a lot of history, they will ask for a personal guarantee you know, from the directors uh, or not the directors, but the shareholders of the production company, the corporation. And this is when this would come into play. It's like, okay, do I have to get together physically with someone to get this certificate of guarantor completed? Because the bank will inevitably, of course, ask for one of these completed. Otherwise, they know that this is something, a loan that's done in Alberta, then can only be enforceable if they complete this certificate of guarantor properly in accordance with the act. And this is where we turn to now, it allows for virtual commissioning of these types of, or not commissioning, well, I'll use the word commission, commissioning of these types of documents. We're completing these types of documents. However, however, Michelle. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> the reality is, is that, okay, when was the last time you dealt with a bank, Michelle? Like, like other than, you know, logging into online banking or something. When was the last time you dealt with a bank in, uh, in an, in, oh, not intimate, you know, in, 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 in a substantive. <laughs> oh, la la. <laughs> yeah, Gotta get your money not, not somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that type of bank. <laughs> we had to deal with a bank in a substantive manner. Um, we were dealing with uh, ATB for Christmas Coronation. Um, and they were, they were wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. That would be yeah. my, my, my banking experience. <laughs> and shout out to ATB for, for that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So ATB, if you want to give us money for a podcast, <laughs> if anyone yeah. let, let us know, please. So... What, what uh, my experience with banks is that generally banks, and I'm not going to single out any particular bank, that they're generally big, immovable giants that don't like change, like very mm-hmm. conservative by nature. And I found that even uh, during this pandemic that uh, trying to insist upon, you know, the, okay, so this guarantees acknowledgement because of this ministerial order can be done virtually. And we've gotten a lot of pushback with that right Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things that it's it's sometimes been very frustrating dealing with banks uh, just with this one regarding this one issue but Mm -hmm. now it's in the darned legislation and hopefully Mm -hmm. that you know this is not going to be such a big deal um, in terms of the banks uh, just insisting you must get together in person despite the spike in covid and wave you know wave two of this pandemic and something that the bank should really get on board with. And I think in fairness, like I haven't done uh, one of these in the, in the last several weeks, but um, earlier, you know, in the summer, stuff like that, it's been a challenge, I guess I have to say. Definitely. And I mean, you think that banks would want to open more ways to keep business flowing in this time? Because, you know, obviously the more businesses can keep doing business, you know, they're going to be paying their loans. They're going to be doing all that kind of stuff if they can keep their businesses moving. So you think they'd be open to working with new technologies and finding ways and solutions? Yeah, and I I agree. I, I, I would think so too. And especially if it's one either because a ministerial order allows for this to be done other than in person or the legislation specifically says you can do this other than in person, but you have to follow these rules, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm probably being a little bit unfair to banks. Maybe they've, they've softened on this, but uh, yeah, it, that wasn't my experience, um, you know, during the summer. You know, I was going to say, it's kind of curious with the virtual aspect, because theoretically, I know with Zoom, you can record a Zoom call. So it's interesting because if you did this commissioning or completing the certificates virtually, you almost could add the 
video recording as additional evidence of what took place. Yeah, I so. suppose so. I've never recorded <laughs> that kind of procedure before, but uh, I know that uh, you know with the I think the, um, when I was doing commissioning some affidavits uh, early uh, in the kind of like in the spring or early summer, I took screenshots to make sure that, hey, if, if there's any doubt that I actually identified this person with their driver's license, here's the screenshot of it. But, but yeah, I, I think the, as lawyers, we'd have to uh, get the, the person's consent um, mm-hmm. to do the recording, of course. And, uh, um, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so if anything, it, it could be better evidence for them. That, that's <laughs> that it, everything right? everything was signed, yeah. That's it, yeah. that's it, yeah. Um, oh. Well, hopefully the banks will be more cooperative going forward. (laughs) Hopefully as well. Yeah, I hope so too. Okay, next, epidemic versus a pandemic. Michelle, Mm -hmm. this is another mistake I made. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Back, oh man, when did we first start talking about this? When we're talking about force majeure provisions, was it? Probably, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and and I, I mentioned something in that episode about how Oh, you should make sure you have pandemic in there. Usually epidemic is listed as one of the triggering events of a force majeure, but you should have pandemic in there as well. But what I didn't realize is that pandemic is a type of epidemic. Yes. (laughs) According to Merriam-Webster, is it Merriam? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Then we'll need an episode about that and you pronouncing it wrong. (laughs) So Merriam-Webster defines an epidemic as an outbreak of disease that spreads quickly and affects many individuals at the same time. Whereas a pandemic is a type of epidemic, one with greater range and coverage. An outbreak of a disease that occurs over a wide geographic area and affects an exceptionally high proportion of the population. Crap. Uh, While a pandemic may be characterized as a type of epidemic, you would not say that an epidemic is a type of a pandemic. So that was where I was wrong. I did not look at the definition first. (laughs) So if you have epidemic in there as a triggering event and a pandemic hit, I mean, plain dictionary meaning is that it's it's covered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should still be a triggering event. Yeah, that would be interesting, though, because then if an agreement had the wording with pandemic, but did not have epidemic, hmm. obviously, uh, like, that would be interesting. Then obviously, the outbreak would have to be widespread. And I wonder who decides when an epidemic turns into pandemic. I think that's a fight that, yeah, that, that would be very unfortunate wording. <laughs> <laughs> you know, g- given that... Uh, Generally, and we'll find out more as this this type of issue gets litigated. Um, you know, like how do the courts treat these kinds of definitions in the force majeure provision? So uh, I think we mentioned that they uh, tend to interpret them very narrowly, right? So if that's the case, then or uh, not narrowly, I mean strictly, and uh, according to the language, then uh, you you might be in trouble. Maybe yeah, yeah. If you yeah. D- define it wrong, you know, in that sense. So. Um, yeah, so that, that's all I wanted to correct about that one. Well, now that we've gone through our updates, I think we're actually kind of out of time for today, Greg. I know, because I gabbed too much. No, I think it was my fault because I talked about too much Halloween candy. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I brought it up, though. In fairness to you, I brought it up. So, And it's a great topic to talk about. It is, and I'm totally going to go eat a crispy Crunch now that we're wrapping up. <laughs> so, listeners, sorry about that. We were quite planning and we have it outlined to talk about COVID guidelines in film 
and guidelines versus the law. But we will do that in our next episode, which we will definitely shoot to release sooner than three months from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we will record this one, the next one soon, and we'll go in, into a little bit more depth about these guidelines uh, and the guidelines versus the law regarding uh, COVID and shooting on set or COVID during a film production. Definitely. All right. With that, let's wrap things up. Listeners, thank you for listening. Please leave us feedback on whatever podcast app you are using, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatnot. And Michelle, where can people find us? They can find you, Greg, on Twitter at Cyclaw. That's C-Y-C-L-A-W. Or Greg at LegalCutPro.com. And you can find me, Michelle, at LegalCutPro.com or on Instagram at Michelle Molyneux. That's right. And just a quick shout out to... No, that's all. That's all in our notes, Michelle. I think we're done. Shout out to Crispy Crunch. (laughs) To Crispy Crunch. Yes, please sponsor us as well. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) All right. We will uh, see you next time, everyone. Thanks for listening. Legal Cut Pro has been produced by Greg Pang and Michelle Molyneux. Excerpts of Just Say Go, Dr. Octavo Mendesity, mixed courtesy of Dr. Octavo and Michelle Molyneux. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated on it is to be construed as legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts of Legal Cut Pro and any guests are their own and do not represent the opinions of any organization or other person unless otherwise stated. Intro sound clip film projector countdown has been truncated from its original form and is copyright 2013 Ivan Gabovich used under creative commons by3 license outro sound clip film projector reel runs out by stefan021 is used under creative commons cc01.0 license this podcast is copyright of red frame law and is licensed to you under creative commons attribution non-commercial cc bync 4.0 license for details of that license visit creativecommons.org <laughs>